Welcome to Behind Enemy Lines, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Listen in as we go in-depth with beat writers that cover Tiger opponents. What's the vibe around their team? What are the matchups to watch out for? Who will win the game? All these questions will be answered. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome back to Behind Enemy Lines. This is episode number seven for week number seven of the Memphis Tigers football season. Y'all know what we do here, man. We're talking to beat writers uh, that cover Tiger opponents. And this week, the Tigers are playing East Carolina, um, in East Carolina. And I'm excited to have Stephen Igo on the on the uh, show tonight. He is the publisher, owner, founder, all of the things over at hoistthecolors.com, the 247 Sports Affiliate for East Carolina. What's up, Stephen? How are you, man? I'm doing good. Uh, much like yourself and the rest of the, the Memphis uh, Tiger uh, country, it's it's got to be tough to, to bounce back from a, a tough weekend on the football uh, gridiron in East Carolina. Didn't lose as uh, frustrating a fashion that Memphis did, but it was still a, a big loss down in New Orleans. I think a lot of ECU fans expected to at least compete and have a chance to win at the end. They did not, as Tulane apparently is one of the most improved teams in the country. But either way, both teams, man, looking in, in kind of a bounce-back week, it'll be interesting to see uh, how these teams kind of approach this weekend. Yeah, that's going to be – I think that is one of those underrated dynamics of this game, right, is the bounce-back ability of both teams. Because we're talking – you know, it, it. You know, I watched the ECU-Tulane game based on the fact that, you know, Memphis will be playing East Carolina this weekend and then the very next weekend will be traveling to New Orleans to play Tulane. And it's like you said, it's been kind of surprising, Tulane's reemergence on the, on the scene this year. I mean, they're a, a damn good team. And, you know, even <laughs> – went down to the third string quarterback against ECU and, and still won the game. What was that surprising to you? I mean, were you surprised by what you felt like in that game was kind of a lack of energy or maybe even a, you know, what was it? Like you dissect it for me. What was that game against East Carolina and Tulane that caused East Carolina to lose? Well, I, I think it was like when I, you know, I was in New Orleans, so, the press box is really close to the field. And I just got the, the sense that it was, a, it was a matchup of two even teams talent-wise. and You know, both teams are pretty experienced. And really the game came down to three or four plays. You know, it was a 14-9 game in the third quarter. ECU was driving. They were trailing. First and 10 at the two-lane, 24. Holt Naylor's ECU's fifth-year uh, fifth senior quarterback just had a guy open in the back of the end zone waited a little bit too late, threw a pick. And instead of taking the check down, which was open, he forced the issue, turns into a pick. Three plays later, Tulane hits a big play. They score a touchdown. And that was a massive swing. And really, ECU couldn't recover from that. You also had two penalties, one for ECU that took a touchdown off the board, uh, and then one on ECU after a third and goal stop that would have brought up a field goal attempt that gave Tulane a first down inside the five-yard line that led to a touchdown. So you had three or four big plays that really changed the, the course of the game. And Tulane just made a lot of 50-50 plays on the outside at wide receiver at DB. They made the plays. ECU didn't. It sounds like coach speak, but really that's what it was. It was yeah. two, you know, in my opinion, good teams. Tulane, the better team, clearly, at the end of the day. And that was the difference. You know, very similar – to, to, when ECU could have beat NC State, they they didn't make the one or two plays to open the year uh, that they needed to to win that game. That's kind of what has plagued them. Also against Navy, they've been right there in every single game. 
Mm, yeah, no, that makes sense to me. So this year, East Carolina sits at three and three on the year so far. Um, for you, as as someone who covers the team and travels with the team and gets to you know be a part of a lot of the you know ins and outs of what's going on in that program, what is what have been the common themes that you've seen in whether a win or a loss for East Carolina? What are some of those common themes that you know, kind of dictate that level of maybe even not inconsistency, but just a loss here, a a, lo- a win there, a loss here. Like what, what has been those common themes for you that you've seen in the program this year so far? The biggest thing is, is the offense. It's, is the offense going to be the, the good version, uh, the average version, or, or the really, you know, to be quite honest, the, the, the bad version. I mean, we kind of saw it against Tulane. We kind of saw it at times against Navy. Both those teams uh, are really good in the secondary. They take away the pass, and ECU has thrown the ball uh, for big yardage in, in most of their wins this year. They're really good at winning one-on-one matchups on the outside at wide receiver and at tight end. They can hit the big play in the running game and keep Mitchell as healthy. But Tulane and Navy took those big plays away, forced ECU to matriculate the ball down the field, and then they just made mistakes or, or made couldn't make the plays throughout the drive to really finish those plays on. Um, and so that's, you know, the offense has been an inconsistent issue now for three or four years. The defense is at the point now where they're giving ECU a chance to win every single week. The defense is that good. Uh, they generate a ton of pressure. They they mix up looks. I mean, they give up plays. But, you know, what college football defense doesn't give up plays in this day and age? So the defense keeps them in games. And then the offense is kind of the determining factor. Can they score enough points? They typically move the ball well. It's just a matter of can they finish in the red zone. And the other thing, the kicking game has been downright sad. They've missed five extra points, whether it be blocks, miss, miss, uh, just straight-up missed kicks, bad holds. Um, and this is what they all-conference kicker a year ago. But you have a new holder, a new snapper. The, the whole operation has been a, a disaster, quite honestly. They've missed three field goals as well that have cost them games. So it, it's just been – special teams and offensive inconsistency that have kept them from being five and one uh, or maybe knocking on the door of six and oh, instead they're three and three. And at the end of the day, you are what your record says you are. Ain't that the truth. I, you know, I, we can sit here and say all day long, the Tigers could sit there and say all day long. Well, look at what, you know, look what they did in those first three and a half quarters against Houston. But in the end, it's a loss in the record column, man. That's all that, that's all that matters. That's the only thing people are going to be looking at, you know, at the end of the year. So, um, so midway through the season, um, at this point, what's the overall health of the team? Like, how's the team? How's East East Carolina health wise? Are they missing any productive players? They're pretty banged up, but like they're not in in terrible shape now. The biggest loss was Rajay Harris. They're uh, one part of their one two tandem at running back towards ACL. He's out for the year. And then the other part of that was Keaton Mitchell, their 1,000-yard rusher from a season ago, probably the, you know, quite honestly, maybe the fastest running back in the conference and maybe the country. Um, he can hit a home run at any point. He's dealing with a hit pointer. He played against Tulane but just didn't look 100%. You know, this will be now, I think, three or four weeks this coming Saturday since his initial injury against Navy. So he should be back closer to 100%. But he's been banged up. You've had some offensive linemen who have not played that were expected to play to begin the year. Uh, Bailey Malovic, you know, non-injury related, but he just he was the projected starting left tackle and just never really, for whatever reason, showed up due to a variety of factors. Um, but outside of that, you know, they're not in terrible shape. Jalen Johnson, one of the starting receivers, missed the two-lane game. He's got some back tightness. He could be back this week. But, you know, overall, they honestly have 
plenty of depth. Mike Houston has built this roster in a, in a really good spot, especially defensively. They play like 25 guys a game on defense. I mean, they rotate in and out of every position. So they should be fine there. It's just that the running backs in the receiver room have kind of taken a hit here recently. I mean, Holt Naylor's is who Holt Naylor's is. Like, he's a beast, right? Like, he was projected as one of the better quarterbacks in the AAC this year, obviously. And I think Tiger fans immediately, when the schedule came out, you know, he's the guy that Tiger fans were looking at as as this is the difference maker for East Carolina in terms of in terms of a you know a potential win loss for the Tigers. And um, but I think you're right, man. You mentioned um, Keaton Mitchell and and how dynamic of a running back he is and uh, you know he has definitely um hurt the tigers in the past in 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 those games and so um it's interesting it's gonna be interesting to see how you know if he's able to make it healthy again come back healthy um and obviously man just holt naylor's being who he is um just gives ecu a a dynamic one-two punch in that in that uh on the offensive side of the ball yeah, Keith Mitchell, when he's healthy, I mean, he is he's as dangerous a player as there is in this conference. And, you know, I, I'm sure Memphis looks at the Tulane film and they're saying, let's let's hope he's that, you know, I don't want to say he was hobbled, but he was like, he, he just, he was kind of unsure of himself, I would say. Like, they're probably looking at that film saying, I hope we get that Keith Mitchell and not the Keith Mitchell from the first three games of the season where he was just ripping off big run after big run. Um, and that's, you know, that's a concern. Now, Marlon Gunn, a freshman running back, he came in against Tulane, and he he really looked good. He averaged like eight yards a carry, uh, caught the ball well. So I think he's going to be a very good back in time, but he's not Keith Mitchell right now. And then with Holton Aylers, the thing with Holton is, you know, when you give him time and he can survey the field, he's as dynamic and as good of a quarterback as there is in this conference. If you can pressure him, you can force him into some bad decisions. You know, the big issue with Holton is he's made that one or two critical mistakes in their losses really over the past two years that have just been backbreakers. And he'll play great for three and a half quarters, but he'll have that one mistake or one drive where it just doesn't click. You know, against Memphis last year, he made some incredible plays. Like, I can't remember how many third down conversions they had in Memphis last year, but it was a lot. He would make plays with his feet. He would make plays with his arm. And so that's really ECU goes as Holton Aylers goes. When he plays a mistake-free game, they typically win. When he makes that big mistake, they typically lose. That's what it comes down to several times. So what are some of the matchups um, as you've done your study on on Memphis and 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 how much you know about ECU? What are some of the matchups you're looking forward to seeing on Saturday? Definitely just, you know, I've noticed that Seth Hennigan is running a lot more this year for Memphis. And I don't know. I haven't sat down and watched a ton of their games. I did watch some of the Houston game. I don't know if more of that is design runs or scrambles, but typically in the past, ECU will, will send a lot of pressure at opposing quarterbacks last year they didn't really send much pressure at all against Memphis they kind of played a lot of coverage and I remember Seth Hennigan would would take off on these little five six yard runs and, and try to keep the chains moving that way when ECU dropped into some deep zones so I'm looking to see does ECU send more pressure this year do they mix it up more last year was primarily coverage 
to prevent Memphis from hitting the big play. And then conversely, on the other side, ECU's got some dynamic receivers. Isaiah Winstead, Toledo transfer, has put up big numbers. C.J. Johnson has put up big numbers. they got an all-conference caliber tight end and Ryan Jones. You know, how does Memphis match up with those guys? They've given up some yards in the air this season. And uh, and the other thing, too, ECU's got to protect Holton Aylers. The offensive line's been a little inconsistent. So if they can protect Aylers, you know, do they have the weapons to take advantage of that Memphis defense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's always going to be the matchup that uh, over here in Memphis, what we're always looking for is, you know, Memphis's offensive line versus the pressure that, you know, the defense's front seven will bring, you know, to them. Because, you know, I, I, Austin Myers is a left tackle for um, University of Memphis. He came back um, off injury. Uh, the last uh, He came back against Houston. Um, he had missed the previous two games alongside Jonah Gamble, the the left guard, um, the two starters. So, the the you, what you see with Seth running the ball, there are some design plays in it, but a lot of it is also when the pocket breaks down, he's trusting his legs. I think you know Ryan Silverfield, the head coach at Memphis, even mentioned that today that that Seth is absolutely trusting his legs more this year to extend the play. I think even in the Houston game, they made they were making jokes, you know, um, on the sideline before the Tigers gave up the 19-point lead that there was a play where Seth had a wide open field and, and slid down after about a 30-yard run when he probably had a wide open – you know, lane to the, to the end zone. And so they were like making fun of him. Like, Hey, keep going. You, you could have run yourself into a touchdown and turns out that probably lost in the game. But, um, anyway, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I am what the matchup that I am most concerned about, I think is the Tigers secondary versus ECU's wide receivers. The, the Tigers have struggled this year with large, um, active, route running receivers and you guys have that one specifically in Isaiah Winstead tell me a little bit about him and him coming into the program what he's done for the team yeah he's been a a a major find you know they lost Tyler Sneed who was their little slot receiver last year and Isaiah Isaiah Winstead's kind of become their new go-to guy much different player than Tyler Sneed was a year ago you know, he's 6'4", 210 pounds, uh, can make the plays down the sideline on one-on-one coverage, can make the shorter plays as well, can even make some plays uh, after the catch. He had a 64-yard catch and run uh, against Navy. And so he's kind of the, the all-around complete receiver. You know, he doesn't have elite speed, but he's definitely got good enough speed that if you leave him in single coverage, he can burn you with his size and speed combination. The other guy, C.J. Johnson, who – has moved in the slot and outside. He's 6'2", a thick 220. I mean, he is a big dude. And so that's the thing, you know, if, if Memphis, you know, struggles with some physical receivers, that could be an issue. Um, the Pirates, their issue has been more the underneath stuff more consistently. They need some more guys to step up, whether it's in the slot. You know, with Jalen Johnson, he kind of fills that role. He was out against Tulane, and that's an area they really struggled in, was making the underneath play consistently. So, they can make the big plays. It's just more about making the routine plays more consistently, which you know could be something Memphis tries to take away. So you mentioned Ryan Jones, the the tight end for East Carolina. Tell me what he, how does how does East Carolina usually use him uh, on the offensive side of the ball? Man, they they use him everywhere. I mean, he he is more of a, I would say he's more of a slot guy than a true tight end. He was a four star recruit coming out of Charlotte. 
and he went to Oklahoma originally. They wanted to put him on the defensive side of the ball. He played three years there as a nickel. And so, but he really wanted to play offense. That's what he played primarily in high school. So he came to ECU, came back to his home state, big time athlete, you know, 6'2", 240, can really run. He runs probably a four or five at that size. Um, we'll probably get some NFL looks. He's a matchup problem. They've even lined him up in the back or backfield and, you know, they pitch the ball to him like a running back. Uh, they use him on jet sweeps. They use him outside sometimes, but primarily in the slot. And essentially, he's just a big slot receiver who can also line up as a tight end. And then that's where you have issues defensively. You don't know if you want to guard him with a, a linebacker, bring a safety down, uh, you know, use a nickel corner on him or what. I mean, it's just one of those things where you're, you're kind of um, in, a, in a bind there with, as a defensive coordinator. So tell me, like, what is – if you if you could, you know, put some words to what is the vibe around the program right now? Like, what is how's everybody feeling about you know the head coach, the the team in general? Like, what's the overall vibe? Well, I think you got the team is like the players. I felt like being on the field in New Orleans, they were they were disappointed at first, but now it's turned into kind of a pissed off attitude, like. You know, the, the players, especially the older guys who have been here through some serious struggles, they kind of saw it, you know, hey, we want to go out, we want to win a conference championship. Well, you can't lose the Navy and Tulane and, and realistically expect that. So the vibe I got was they're pretty pissed at going on the road to Tulane, laying that egg, so to speak, and, and they want to come back with a vengeance this week. They've said kind of, hey, we'll find out who we are this week in the face of adversity. Um, I think that the coaches will obviously be very motivated. I mean, what coaches after a, a loss like that? The, the, the fan base, you know, they're kind of looking at it differently. They're more dejected. Uh, they're pissed off in a different way because they felt like this team had a chance to win eight, nine games. And and now through the – what at least in the in the preseason, this was the easier part of their schedule. They're three and three. Now I think it's fair to say Houston's not as good as we thought they were going to be. Maybe Cincinnati. Um, who knows about UCF? You know, I still think they're, they're gettable. Um, so there, there's still a chance to win some games the second half of the year, and Tulane's a lot better. Navy's improving. Uh, I mean, they just put up, what, 56 on Tulsa or something like that. So this league, man, it's just like I don't know what to expect from week to week, and we're kind of at the point now where, hell, ECU might go 3-9. and nine. Maybe we'll go 7-5. and five. At this point, it's just about who's going to show up week to week, and we'll see what happens Saturday. Absolutely. So let's do a hypothetical. Um, let's say on Saturday night, uh, ECU's won the game um, against Memphis, and you get the box score up in the up in the press box. What what statistic? What box score? What thread? What theme do you look for that tells you this is why ECU won the game? For me, first first column is turnovers. I, I saw somewhere that Memphis is plus nine or something like that through six games, which is an incredible stat. Uh, ECU more around, uh, you know, I think they're close to, to zero uh, both ways. And they just – they're coming off a game where, again, you know, they lost a turnover battle 2-0. Two, two uh, they had a critical turnover against Navy that kind of cost them that game. Like, I just feel like if this team goes out and they plays a clean – and they play a clean fundamental game, they're going to be hard to beat. But they've just kind of shot themselves in the foot at times, whether it be the quarterback, whether it be the, the fumbles deep in their own territory like we saw against Navy. If they don't turn the ball over, if they find a way to force a turnover off Memphis, you know, I think that'll be, go a long way towards victory. Because, again, I think this is another game where both teams are pretty even. And it's going to come down to simply who makes the plays, who makes the big mistake, or who can avoid the big mistake. 
So in your opinion, is is East Carolina more of a – are they a first-half team, second-half team? Like where do they do most of their damage? That's a great question. I would say at the start of the year, it was definitely – they were definitely a second-half team. Against NC State, they struggled early, dominated the fourth quarter, should have won the football game. Um, similar deal against Old Dominion where they just, you know, a pretty good ODU team w- was tight early. Then they just imposed their will in the fourth quarter, you know, did the same thing against Campbell, which you would expect an FCS opponent. Navy, both teams really lit up the scoreboard randomly in the fourth quarter. It was three to three going into the fourth quarter and then both teams got hot. Um, but then, you know, they were almost the second half team all season until the two lane game. And then it's just like the offense, forgot how to play in the second quarter. The defense, I thought, played pretty well uh, – or second half, excuse me. The defense played pretty well in the second half. They did give up the one long touchdown, but outside of that, they've played well in the second half all of the year. So, I would lean more towards this being a second-half team. They traditionally have not scored early in games uh, as far as touchdowns for the most part. So, uh, more of a second-half team, but it hasn't really been a consistent theme thus far. Mm. Well, listen, man, this is, you know, from the beginning of the year when as we started to walk through kind of our breakdown of the season and what we thought was going to happen, this game, if I can be completely frank with you, we wrote down as a loss, you know, for the Tigers. And it's such an interesting – the way things change is so interesting because the Tigers could very easily be sitting at 5-1, and 3-0 and in the a- in the AAC this year after that Houston game. Um, but this feels, to me – like it is absolutely a must win for both teams for 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 the the goals the dreams that they have for their teams to come to fruition this year this game is a must win so i have a feeling it's going to be a dynamic game it's going to be a fun game an intense game and i wish i could be there i i, I feel the same way man like you know we talked about it earlier how are both teams going to bounce back I, I feel pretty good about ecu bouncing back and i would assume memphis coming off a loss like that, that just leaves such a, a, a sour taste in your mouth that you, you have to bounce back. Like, you have no choice but to. And I think it's going to be a dogfight. I mean, I, I really do. And I do think it is a must-win game. You know, Memphis has to go to Tulane the following week. And, you know, granted, there might only be 5,000 people in the stands, but that has proven to be a tough place to play, um, you know, under Willie Fritz uh, there and their heck of a team, as ECU just saw. So, and then ECU's got to host UCF next week, which we all know how well they're playing. So kind of a swing game for both teams. It's like if Memphis, if you bounce back and you, you win this game, all of a sudden people kind of forget about the Houston debacle. ECU, if you win this game, all of a sudden going into UCF, you're like, well, hey, we just beat Memphis. We got momentum going into this next home game. You know, maybe we can upset UCF and, and send them to the Big 12 with a with a big FU. So uh, it's, it'll be one of those things where – uh, I think really the winner of this game can kind of ascend the rest of the season, whereas the loser, you know, you're going to be kind of uh, licking your wounds and trying to figure out how to fix this thing. Yeah, I think that's what makes this game so interesting is because if you if you go into the details on the Houston game, the Memphis versus Houston game, it was by far the best game that Tigers have played all year on both sides of the ball. Special teams was doing okay. I mean, there was a few, you know, mistakes. But overall, you know, you talked about, you know, East Carolina special teams having some struggles this year um, based uh, compared to last year. Well, last year, the Tigers special teams was awful. And 
they've they finally got a field goal kicker in. They, you know, the the kickoff specialist has had some rough games, but he seems to be kind of righting the ship a little bit. Um, no pun intended for you know what you guys are doing over there, but um, the the Houston game was the first game in in probably three weeks where the offense was playing at a high, consistently high level, where you saw Seth Hennigan having the time and the the ability to um, get the ball to his receivers, and they were doing some things. It was it was a pretty incredible game through and through, just like, wow, okay, this is what we thought this could be. And the defense was just – I mean, we're talking Houston was ranked top 25 at the beginning of the year, picked to win the AAC, and they couldn't move the ball. They just couldn't move the ball. They had three points going into the fourth quarter. And then – what happened happened, and so we know the story is you are what your record your record is. Um, you're, you're, we only know about the wins and the losses, but I think that's going to be interesting. Is is a major theme is can the Tigers take what they did in the three and a half those first three and a half quarters and bring it over to East Carolina in a in a must win game? So I'm excited, man. It's going to be a fun one this weekend. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I mean, I have no idea which ECU team is going to show up. Um, you know, they, they've yet to put a complete game together this year. and sounds like Memphis is kind of in the same boat. So maybe maybe we'll get another three-quarter uh, slugfest and then one team just figures it out in the fourth quarter for good. Who knows? All right, last question for you. Um, do you think it's going to be a shootout? Do you think it's going to be a high-scoring game, low-scoring game? What, what, are, what are your thoughts it's a good question. I, I think I, I, I kind of lean more towards it being into at least the high twenties, low thirties. Traditionally, when like you know ECU's offense, when they have a clunker, they usually followed up with a big game. Like they they were awful against Navy, and then they scored forty one points in the first half against South Florida. You know, I don't know if they'll go out and do that, but I think they'll they'll come back. I think they'll make some changes, and I think they'll come back with a vengeance, hopefully get Keaton Mitchell healthy. So, I think – and Memphis can score points, and they can throw the football, and ECU's one weakness defensively has been stopping the pass. And so, I feel like both teams will put up some points. I think, what, the over-under is in the 50s, uh, mid-50s 50s or so. Yep. 52, yeah. 52, I, I think, is what it was. Yeah. Something like that. So, I think it'll be high 20s, low 30s in that range. Awesome. Well, listen, man, Stephen, it was really nice to meet you. Um, love what you're doing over there at Hoist the Colors, man, just killing it. You've got a uh, one of the more active sites um, that I've had the privilege of, of kind of going and checking out and seeing. I, I love all the interactions that are going on over at your boards, man. It's a, it's a fun place to be. So I appreciate you joining me, man. Hey, it's good to meet you as well. Good to talk to you. I'm sure we'll be talking again maybe in basketball season maybe one of these days ECU will be a, a legitimate threat to win a basketball game and hey, conference play, but who knows y'all beat us a couple, yeah. was it last year a couple years ago last, last year in Minji's I think they banked one in to beat that's what it was yeah, yeah so man. if there's one thing ECU fans can count on they'll beat somebody they shouldn't at home every year <laughs> last year it was Memphis this year I think my prediction is SMU so uh, it'll be somebody well, there's one prediction that we have over here in Memphis is they'll lose a game to someone they shouldn't lose a game to. <laughs> and then they'll come, hey, out, they'll come out and beat Alabama at home by 30 points when Alabama's ranked number six in the country and then lose to SMU on the road. So it is what it is, man. <laughs> yeah. It's, hey, sports. That's why we love it. That's why we love it. Hey, man, appreciate you. Have a great rest of your week. All right, man. 
Thank you for listening to Behind Enemy Lines. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in content all about the University of Memphis Tiger Athletics, hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Also, you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for our VIP membership.